Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. I'm your host, Ian James Wright, and joining me today to discuss Combination Lock from the 1995 album Red Medicine is Isaac Turner, a musician and a writing and music instructor at Kalamazoo Valley Community College. Isaac, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's very, very sweet to to be here talking with you. And very sweet to have you. It's, you you're, you're a gold star guest, uh, the guests who are willing to come on and talk about an instrumental by Fugazi. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Extra gold star. It's it's not the easiest thing to t- have a whole conversation about. So thanks. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'm I'm stoked to do it. So. <laughs> yeah, I I guess first I'll ask you what I'll ask uh, most of my guests is um, if you want to tell me a little bit about your relationship with Fugazi um, as a fan, an admirer, and whatever else. Um, where did you first hear about them, etc.? Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, so I grew up in North Dakota, and not just in North Dakota, but I grew up in a, a really small, um, very isolated town in North Dakota, a hundred and a hundred and twenty miles from like the nearest McDonald's or you know record store or anything. And so when I started to come into my own, you know, when you're in seventh or eighth grade, you start figuring out stuff for yourself a little more. Um, I started to figure out I liked music that maybe wasn't always the radio music or classic rock or whatever. And I would take any opportunity I could to get out of town, right? And I met this uh, person at like a state student council convention or something <laughs> in, um, who was from, you know, met this this woman named Terika. She was just the sweetest person. And um, she was like, hey, you like uh, you like the Afghan wigs? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I like the Afghan wigs. And I, I had no idea. Like, <laughs> you know, oh, you like Fugazi? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I finally fessed up like, I don't. I don't know that band, man. I'm sorry. I've read their name, but, and she's like, get repeater. So I bought repeater and this is, I think I was in ninth grade or something. Right. And it did not make sense to me. Like it just, this was not, I had, I did have dinosaur junior records and my bloody Valentine records and ride albums and stuff, but this was just like, it was intense. And, you know, a couple of years go by, I go to college, um, uh, kill taker comes out, right. You know, and the kill taker comes out and I, uh, you know, a friend of mine was like, Oh, you gotta, you, do you have, do you have this one yet? And I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm a little hot and cold on them. And he came to my dorm room. He put it on, his name is Dana, um, and push play. And it was just like, there it was, you know, like it was like, my life was changed, you know, the, the skin lifted and I just, it, it completely, I was ready, you know, I was ready. Um, and then when Red Medicine came out, that became my one of my favorite records of all time. I, I still to this day is one of my favorite records. Uh, getting into punk rock when I started playing in bands the same year in college, my freshman year of college, 1995. Um, I gravitated towards friends that seemed to like similar things like we all do, right? Or in some ways. And Fugazi was the kind of common denominator um, amongst our friends. And then even into my adult life, when I moved from North Dakota to Kalamazoo, um, we started a band here uh, a while ago, uh, and we all gravitated together over lots of different things and lots of shared ideas and politics and things. But that was the one consistent band that we all agreed on, too, and that was Fugazi. And we're still together. We're still all friends and play music and stuff. And so they kind of have sort of always been with me. And I got to say, I... I feel the same way. I feel the same way about my other favorite bands. Like they did not make sense when I first heard them, you know, like when I first got a come album, um, I was just like, what the hell is this? You know, like 
this is this is too much. And then that immediately, like I mean, not immediately, but after a few months of, of trying again, it just became the only thing I ever wanted to listen to, you know, or mm. or Silk, Silkworm was the same way. I just, you know, it was I think the things that really that really stick with me, I have an odd reaction right off the bat and then they kind of worm their way in. So acquired tastes can really be the best tastes ultimately. Right. It's it's oh, I totally that agree. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're. I, I consider you very lucky. You know, I've been in a few bands over the course of my life, and I've never seemed to be able to uh, hook up with other musicians who feel the same way I do about Fugazi. Just for some reason, that's never been the, the group of other musicians that I've fallen in, in with. So, um, yeah, that's oh yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it is cool, and and even even now, it's like uh, I mean, I really, I, I mean, this maybe we'll talk about this more later, but they're. God, it's so weird to say this, but it's like they're our Beatles, you know, <laughs> like, oh yeah, you know, the beat, you know, there are, you know, Ringo, John, George, you know, th- that that's our, our thing. Are you a gee guy? Are you a Joe guy? Are you a, a Brendan guy? You know, like that <laughs> kind of thing. And, and I know that's sort of reductive and weird because they're a unit, but you know, the beat, the Beatles were a unit too. You know, they, they ripped live. They were really good live too. Um, Fugazi obviously on a different level. Um, and, and then, you know, they, they didn't come to North Dakota too much. I don't know. <laughs> they, um, but when they did come close, we did go see them. We actually drove to Minneapolis to see them on the End Hits tour. And it was just mind-blowing seeing, yeah. like, you know, no set list. They were so intense. They were – but they were clearly also having fun for making such intense, serious music, you know. It was – yeah, they were they were one of the best bands I've ever seen, so – yeah, same here. Number one with a bullet for me. It's it's oh, they're hard perfect. to beat. <laughs> yep. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, you're, I agree with your comment about the Beatles. Um, it, you know, way back when I recorded the introduction for this show, I actually said you know, the the podcast was actually inspired by a podcast about the Beatles called Alphabetical, where they did the same thing. They just go through every song in in that band's catalog, A to Z. I'm sure I'm oh, sure yeah. that podcast has a much bigger audience. But uh, yeah, nevertheless. <laughs> I, I think there are more uh, points of comparison between the Beatles and Fugazi than most people might immediately think. So yeah, a- absolutely. Totally. Yeah. In your your day job at Kalamazoo Valley Community College, you teach a course uh, on the history of rock and roll. That's right. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, I've been teaching that since uh, 2003. Um, I'm actually currently uh, avoiding my editors. <laughs> <laughs> for a for a, a book i'm writing about it and uh putting putting off writing this book and uh hoping they don't find me but yeah i've been that's been it's not my day job there my day job is a professor of english and and writing but at, but when i started in 2003 that was kind of what got me my job there was that i could talk about cultural studies mm. and and music and in rock history i used to teach a class called the aesthetics of punk culture at a few different universities and I think they saw that on my Vita and they were like, hey, can you take can you do this, too? And that's been super rewarding and fun. So what's the scope of that class like uh, to start? I don't know, like. Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it starts really in some ways, you know, in prehistory and oh, in sure. the middle past. And, and, and then, of course, uh, Africa and, and then this awful interruption called the Middle Passage. Right. You know, it starts really there and that that uh that exchange of information the non not willful exchange of information right right um you know the the effects of which we're we're every human being 
who is conscious is seeing now still to this to the second to this very second but i start there and then i tr- you know i try very very hard to get to the modern day it is just so difficult to to do that i mean i i could spend an entire semester just on woodstock alone or i could spend an <laughs> entire semester on disco music alone or on punk rock or whatever so it's really i i really have to pick and choose but i try to blast through by about the third week we're in the 1950s because if i keep doing the deep history of old-timey music and the blues and folk traditions and how folk traditions are different in West Virginia than they are in Louisiana versus whatever, like they're, they'll glass over. I right. mean, yeah. I love my student. I love my students so much, but there's a lot of them and I teach, you know, I have a lot of students in there. They, 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 yeah, they want, they want to listen. They want to get stoned before class and talk about Pink Floyd, you know? So yeah, man. Groovy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking recently about the history of rock because when I when I think about it, I mean, I guess in the popular imagination, what most people think of as rock and roll uh, it started in the early 50s, right? Um, and 40s, 50s. Yeah. yeah, 40s, 50s. I was born mm-hmm. in 1982. And so that means really the history of, of rock and roll, as most people understand it, is basically kind of doubled in my lifetime, right? There's like twice as much to know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. It's I mean, sort of mind blowing. Think, think of this too. You know, by 1960. Okay, so you could actually argue that by February of 1964, the Beatles go on Ed Sullivan. Beatlemania explodes globally, not just in the British, you know, Isles or uh, in the in the the Commonwealth, but it's now a global thing. The artists of the 1950s, you know, say like even if had Buddy Holly lived or. You know, even uh, God, God forbid saying this because he was so vital in the 60s, but even Little Richard or Jerry Lee Lewis, that, that creep Jerry Lee Lewis, certainly Elvis Presley, those guys were just, they were, they were old. Yeah. They were already, those guys were already oldies radio by 1964, you know, like the take out the papers on the trash. That was already <laughs> old stuff, you know, and, 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 and time doesn't work quite that same way anymore, like. You know, I, I think I will be listening to, uh, you know, the last Frank Ocean record came out in 2016. It's called Blonde. I think I'll be listening to that a decade from now, and I'll still find it to be fresh and new and vital and amazing. And that's not how music used to be. Four-year difference in the 1960s was was like a 25-year difference now, kind of, you know? Yeah, so. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Things have slowed down a bit. Absolutely, um. yep. So, of course, this leads me to ask, uh, you know, as as an expert in the field, uh, what's your take on <laughs> what's your take on the space that Fugazi occupies in the history of rock and roll? Uh, what's what's the perspective like? Does this actually do they come up in the class that you teach at all? Oh, yeah, I make them come up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you do have to shoe, shoehorn things in. Right. Because when you talk about, say, punk, because they're they're a punk rock band, they're. We're from punk tradition. I assume you are as well. Uh, uh, you know, we come from whenever that 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 uh, punk rock sets your watch. That's where you start. Um, you kind of have to shoehorn them in a little bit, though, right? Because it's not exactly hardcore. It isn't this other kind of thing that comes a little bit later. It's a little bit of an anomaly that happens in the late '80s, but that is really, you know, the really awesome creative stuff comes comes later. You know. Um, for my money, in terms of just independent artists, you know, in indie rock or punk rock, whatever you want to call it, that sort of wide, you know, that wide umbrella, I, I, I frame them as this, the top of the heap. Um, musically, 
you know, rhetorically, uh, uh, their value system, their the way that they construct songs, you know, like they're they're just absolutely the best. I I think in terms of influence, it it kind of comes down to like three different bands, and you know, in terms of say indie rock of that of that ilk, you know, why don't we, for lack of a better word, we'll say louder indie rock. You know, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about Bell and Sebastian or Magnetic Fields or something, but if you have louder indie rock, if you know Fugazi, Unwound, and and I guess Slint, right? That's, that's sort of mm-hmm. that's sort of that's sort of the you know the the triumvirate in some ways. And so many bands sounded like them, you know, going forward after those bands came out. Um, I think you could make an argument for all three of them too. Uh, personally, my heart is with Fugazi. <laughs> that's the that's the band that really set my watch in many ways, you know, for, for that type of thing. And I have to say too, set my watch for how you conduct yourself as a, as an artist and how you conduct yourself as a band, right? You, 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 you know, you can put your own records out and it's totally awesome. You can tour by calling people or now it's easier to set up tours. Um, back in the day when we had calling cards and, uh, email was sketchy and you had to go to the student union to check your email, (laughs) You know, they t- they showed you you could do this, right? Just as you know, I guess just as Black Flag did before them, uh, and many other bands have since. Um, but to me, they're just so vital and so important, you know, on on a lot of different levels. So I, I really put them really pretty high up, you know, up at the top. So absolutely, me too. And I gotta yeah. say, up until you said that, I had not thought of calling cards, phone cards for so many years. Oh. I just remembered that oh. was a thing. Oh my god. <laughs> Wow. What a scam, right? Oh, jeez. Oh, oh man, yeah, it was rough. That was rough. And I, rem- I remember, like, you know, going moving to Europe for a little bit. And my grandma, before I left for for a job in Europe, she gave me this envelope with like four hundred dollars worth of calling cards. And I remember <laughs> just being so stoked, like, oh my god, I can call home. And it's just so weird the process of it all. Yeah, so, it is. Oh man. Yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of Fugazi, uh, today we're talking about uh, Combination Lock from Red yeah. Medicine, uh, which yeah. you had previously said is uh, one of your big favorites. Mine too. Red Medicine is just a great album. Uh, and this one, to yeah. me, is is a real centerpiece of it in some ways. I, like Red Medicine, it's such a crazy album. It has so much uh, bizarre sonic experimentation. It seems like it's an mm-hmm. album where they're doing things they had never tried before, and yet... Uh, combination lock is there too which is yep it's such a fun funky little song like what's well i'll kind of give you the first word on it uh what's the first angle you want to talk about with uh with combination lock oh yeah well i mean to me i um you know i got it i got the record first on cd right so i'm i'm listening i'm thinking of it still in the frame of mind of listening to it on a compact disc right and in that context that that song, that that little ditty, really, um, that has a whole bunch of other stuff I'll talk about in a second. But that song to me always felt like the break in the middle of that really thick album, right? The album challenges you from the jump. Mm-hmm. It's got, uh, you know, the first, I know, the, we'll get, and I don't want, I won't talk about other songs, but it just know if you haven't heard Red Medicine, please go listen to it. And you got to push through the first 30 or 40 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it goes, and it sounds like uh, some industrial thing before blasting into this really amazing song. You know, do you like me? Uh-huh. 
with that with that riff and then right off in you know bedford scrapings coming you know bir- your birthday pony all, I mean, all it just goes boom 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 right and it's kind of heavy right so combination lock is this little oh what's the thing it's like the little drink you drink after i haven't drank in years and years and years so i'm i'm probably out of my depth a now but digestif digestif thank you i almost said aperitif but it's a, the the digestif right uh-huh, in uh-huh. the in the in the middle like after the first course <laughs> or like a or like a palate cleanser sorbet kind of a thing right yes absolutely and it's so melodic and and I, and I think the I think the most perfect songs are the ones that are actually kind of obvious, right? Where you're like, oh god, that's such an obvious riff. That new, 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 new. <laughs> the the beat, you know, the it is. And also, if you listen to it, the drums sound as if they're mixed uh, a little bit differently on that song than on the rest of the record, right? Right. Um, well, there's, it sounds to me like yeah. there's a very short delay on them, right? So, so maybe just yes. maybe just room echo. I, I'm not sure. Uh, you know what? I don't. I don't know. That's a great question. I'm sure it was done in inner ear. I assume it was done in inner ears. I haven't looked mm-hmm. at the the the, jack, the jacket in years. And inner ear does have that one big room, right? It's a pretty big room. It's got really tall ceilings. And I just assumed that they were just cranking it. And then also, if you listen on headphones, there's some kind of cool uh, left-right speaker stuff going on with the drums, too. Like, they're, it just sounds a little different. And then you have all these beautiful, melodic elements start coming in. That bass line, I mean, Joe's heart to me always feels as if it's a, mel- a melodious heart. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I know he, I know he comes from metal and... But he also comes from dub, right? And he comes from reggae. And he he they 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 enter that into there. I think you could make an argument that it's a dub influenced song without being without having all of the earmarks of like willfully ripping off dub music, right? Totally. And then those beautiful guitars. I mean, they are so clearly. If you don't know anything about music, right? If you don't know anything about like how records are made or something, you can hear that and so clearly know. Oh, those are two completely different setups going on with guitar. They just sound totally different. And I, I'm not going to stand here. Uh, uh, I stood up because I'm, gosh, I'm, I'm a, I'm excited, gosh, darn it. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I'm not going to stand here and say, you know, that 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 Ian and Gee are the the Richard Lloyd and Tom Verlaine of punk. I mean, I mean, Richard Lloyd and Tom Verlaine are the Richard Lloyd. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But I also do not think they get the credit that they deserve for being as uh, uh, willing to play off of each other and to snake their guitar parts around each other that 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 they that they really deserve. They're they're really intuitive, I think. And th- this is a beautiful example that there, there's all these little you know things going on back and forth. I actually lose track of who's playing what once in a while. You know, the, like who's doing the neener 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 do do do, and who's doing the other thing. And then as you see at the end of the song, it merges into this hornet's nest, right? <laughs> you know, they're, they're kind of, they're kind of, it's almost like peaking a little bit. And then that beautiful kind of uh, uh, outro or whatever. I got to say, the only thing that surprises me or that still perplexes me about the song is that weird, um, that weird, like uh, uh, a sample in the middle, uh, that little spoken thing. So. The voice. So this voice, um, I, I did a little bit of research about it. It seems to me to be uh, uh, this synthesized voice from Apple's Macintosh software, uh, and the voice, oh. it, which had a few different voices, but this voice is Fred. Uh, 
Um, and wow. you, listeners, you might recognize Fred from some other uh, notable songs. Radiohead used it for "Fitter Happier," uh, and it's also in um, "Happier." Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's also in "Paranoid Android" uh, on on the yeah. same album. Okay, computer. It's also there's a song you might have heard of by Benny Benassi called "Satisfaction." It's like this sort of techno. Mm. Push me and then just touch me, so I can get. Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah. Satisfaction. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this song rules. Yeah, yeah. there. Um, those are the only ones that I could think of. Um, I'm sure there are others, but you know, of those, who got combination lock was the first one. Um, I'm I'm sure some experimental music used that earlier. But yeah, um, I don't. Did you did you have um Apple computers, Mac computers? Because my family, ever since we got our first home computer, it, we were always like we just had PCs. So I never had that like that uh synthesized voice software to play with but it seems like a lot of fun oh god no you know what i didn't know that the internet existed until my first day of college oh, and yeah. i'm not <laughs> i'm not kidding in north dakota north dakota in the 90s if you were uh, if you were in an isolated place in a small town i mean my town had uh, less than a thousand people in it um you just those things just didn't get to you like you didn't right. I'm, I'm sure th- i'm sure it was talked about on the news i'm sure i read about it in like my dad got Time Magazine, and I'm sure I read about it at some point. But I just remember the first day of college, them showing me this is how you check your email, and this is called Web Crawler. And I like, you know, type in Dinosaur Junior or something, you know. And it was that. So, no, I did not have an experience with computers until I went to college, you know. So, yeah. yeah although, so I never had Macs with the software, but I did in high school, I worked on the, the newspaper. And I remember one time, so we, we there were all uh, Macs in that, the, the little, the colorful ones that came with like a shell that was like uh, pastel blue or, or green or something like that. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yep. so those, so we, we played this like prank on one of the other students who worked there. She like stepped away from her computer and we got this software and somehow we set an, a timer on her computer so that when she came back uh, at, at some point when she was working, uh, the, it it triggered this thing and we had it like talk to her and say her name and say like i'm <laughs> i'm watching you um so that was a very fun use of this uh voice software that uh, in, in my memory yeah terrorism yeah yeah, yeah it was great <laughs> oh that's great did you grow up in california yourself no i grew up on the east coast in like the dc suburbs um just oh yeah just moved out here a few years ago um oh so great this is this podcast yeah. is a little bit of my way of uh keeping in touch with with the roots. <laughs> oh yes, that's wonderful. That's cool. Um, so yeah, I was I was wondering uh, since this song does have synthesized voice on it, is this technically an instrumental? Is would this would this be disqualified from the great instrumental awards? I'm not sure. You no. Know, okay, this is okay. Here you go. Million dollar question or forty eight dollar question or whatever. Or no, how about this? Eight dollars post paid question. Um, <laughs> you know what? So that red medicine comes out. Uh, we're all we're all into it. We we all get it. Everybody is tripping balls over this awesome album. And the argument that came up immediately between my friends, I mean, these are people I love and still text almost daily to this day. I'm not kidding. That was like, oh, you know, those interstitials, which one of my friends is like, that's that ruins the record. That stuff. That stuff sucks. You know, can I swear on this podcast? I don't think I can. Right. Yeah, go ahead. 
Okay. Well, I, just in case I, I get too worked up, but anyway, <laughs> that was the one, that was one argument right there. Another of my friends, and this is the side I came on. was like, no, a, not only is that integral, but those are part of those songs. Like yeah. the, the gee screaming ah, ah, with the feedback thing or whatever. That's part of the song. I think it's still an instrumental because uh, it's, it's a sample and it's a sample of a non human voice. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, and you can hear that. I did not know until you told me, and I really, Thank you for telling me where it came from. Until knowing it, hearing it, you know it's not of human origin, right? Like this is something that's not human. Right. So, um, but I think it absolutely still is. A, it qualifies as an instrumental song for sure. So, I think I come down in the uh, in the same side of the argument. Uh, not that I think anyone is actually having this argument, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, rad. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if we want to break this down into its constituent parts uh we talked about the drums a little bit um yeah and that's really uh, a lot of the time when i think about fugazi songs the 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 title of them is not totally clear uh, and of course when it comes to in- instrumentals um it, it's like doubly so just like where did it come from um and yeah given given the way that fugazi composed their songs um, it's, I'm sure a lot of it is just, you know, it's out of sort of bits and pieces that eventually came together into a larger song. So I assume that a mm-hmm. lot of the titles that aren't, you know, something they say in the lyrics, uh, come from that. It's like, they just, they just refer to this jam they've been doing by some, some name that is sort of evocative of the music somehow. And that yeah. eventually becomes the official title of whatever the song happens to be. So I'm not sure if the title of this, uh, is inspired by that um the i was thinking that brendan's hi-hat is like constantly ticking throughout the song yes always in the background which is a little bit evocative of turning the dial on a combination lock Uh, that's totally that's the best guess i have um and but then of course that's something that that synthesized voice uh says later in the song um so yeah it's kind of like do they do they call this combination lock and then uh, throw that voice in there or, or vice versa um and also you know sp- speaking of the words it says i forgot my combination um and it says something before that that i've never been able to tell what it is it's like same yeah breaking ninja i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah i agree i've never been able to tell either yeah <laughs> yeah i'll uh Ooh, ooh, I'll put that on the list of uh, stuff to ask the band if I ever get the chance to uh, interview them. Um, I, I, oh, I, I oh. bet they won't remember, but who knows? I bet Ian would talk to you in a second. He is he is the sweetest dude to talk to. Um, <laughs> he really is. I mean, I, I, I've only hung out with him a few times uh, o- over the years and absolutely the, the most he's, – he's, he's truly, truly, truly shockingly funny, like – like my face hurts hanging out with him because because he, he just says super funny stuff. He he starts shit con- immediately. Like right. he immediately start, he immediately starts shit, and it it is it's so refreshing to be with somebody who's like a little bit of a trickster, you know? Yeah, and yeah. and and he's super sincere. Like when he tells you something that's meaningful, you know, then it, that's a very very sincere thing. I mean, he said something to me once uh, after a band that I was in that I was playing in, and he was there that I will probably remember like on my deathbed, you know, (laughs) you know, he's just, he's just the most, uh, awesome dude. And I know he would love to talk to you about this. I just guarantee it. So, 
Yeah, that's funny. I was just a, a recording I did recently. We were talking about him and uh, Fugazi's famous um, sort of hectoring, uh, calling out people in the audience. They did sometimes. Um, and some of that obviously was for very good reasons, like somebody's doing something dangerous or whatever. But I, I do think that a healthy portion of that was that it just sort of amused Ian to sort of, uh, you know, get in somebody's face and, and like make a little bit of an uncomfortable moment for the crowd. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was safety first. Totally. Just like you said, absolutely heart and right place. And then a little bit of like, yeah, F you, you know, <laughs> like you look, take that meathead, you know, so. And I, my suspicion about combination lock w- with regards to Ian or as it relates to Ian, my suspicion is it was his riff. Um, it sounds like an Ian riff to me. I mean, maybe they'll chime in and say like, no, 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 actually Brandon wrote that or whatever. But when you listen to his catalog of music after Fugazi, it's so melodic, right? I mm-hmm, mean, mm-hmm. Evans, e- Evans is head bobbing music, right? It is just the most melodic We've now heard, what, two or three Kariki songs before the new Kariki record comes out. Yeah. Total, totally melodic at its core. And I, I've always just thought that that was an Ian riff. So, I, again, I don't know, but that's mm. what, that was my that was you're, my. You're talking about so. just the, the main guitar part? Yeah. The, and then even the... That kind of going down the neck or whatever. I it just feels like it's something he came up with, you know? Yeah. That it's very playful. My perception is that that main guitar part, um, Ian and Guy are playing that in unison. Does that sound like that to you? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think at first, and then they, di- they diverge after yes. that and it goes left. It goes, then they become, yeah. Yeah. Cause it has Lloyd, that distinct, Lloyd like, Verlaine, but... it has that like chorus sound that, that comes when two guitars are playing the same thing at the same time. And I, I really like it. It seems like there are not a lot of bands who do that, like that if they are going to do some kind of a lead like that, they're going to do a harmonized lead part. Um, and of course, that, that often comes off as cheesy, like especially like it sort of just doesn't happen in, in hardcore punk and offshoots of that, right? It's not really a punk thing yeah. to do. Um, but yeah, that, that just sort of unison sound is nice. And Fugazi does that a, a few other times in their in their catalog. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I totally agree. I think, And I think it, it, it in that, in, particularly in that case, it's just pitch perfect and you know famously i mean i don't know what happened in the studio with them uh, but famously you know they did they didn't have many pedals like they had a mm-hmm. couple little boost boost pedals or something uh uh maybe there would be like a, a tremolo pedal or, or or some sort of tremolo thing my my guess is he actually just manipulated the tremolo with with the amplifier you know with yeah. those mar- marshals that they're using or he's using so mm-hmm. yeah and usually um the recordings I think most of the time the recordings really reflect that. Like they, they didn't use effects live and they didn't really in the studio. I've, I've identified a couple of times where I think they're using something like, like a wah pedal, for example, at a, at a certain point in arpeggiator. Um, it sounds yeah. like that to me. Um, yep. but otherwise they keep the song sounding how they would live, except also in this song, not so much an effect thing, but at the very end, you know, you're tracking, as you said, you're sort of trying to track what Ian's doing, what Guy's doing at every point yeah. in the song. But the end, it seems like there's three guitars, right? There's like, oh. there's two of them are wailing, but one's doing that staccato. It's, it's, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So like, that's, that's one of the rare places. Like I try to listen to lots of Fugazi songs and listen, but you don't get a lot of overdubbed third guitars uh, in many places. So that's interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. That, you know what? I, 
before the interview today, I listened, you know, this or throughout my day here, listened to the song a few times, and I that didn't quite register. Yeah, so that that is, but now as you say it, it's like, oh my god, that's exactly it. It has to be an overdub of some sort, you know. So hmm. yeah, oh, that's great. Um, I I, I was going to say too. Um, you had a hunch that that this is mainly an Ian thing. I always I always got the feeling it was mainly a Joe thing. Um, because oh. man, that bassline, it's so meaty and so great. It's something that I always yep. used to play whenever I, uh, picked up a bass. It's, it's very fun. Um, yeah, it's like, it's, it's not only is it very fun, but I really appreciate how at the end of it, it sort of stops for, I guess, two beats, uh, and yep. just like, let's everyone else do what they're going to do. Um, sometimes Brendan takes a drum fill right there. Um, uh, and then it, mm-hmm. it like has this nice pickup which is where i guess uh, it seems like he improvises that a lot of the time like the baseline is the same except when it comes to that little pickup after the yeah. momentary silence some he just does different kinds of stuff there um so yeah it's yeah. such a fun baseline I, re- I really love that one. Oh, absolutely it's so bouncy and i mean i guess it's again maybe a hackneyed thing to say but it's it's very full of life to yeah. me you know <laughs> like which i think a lot of joe's baselines are and even you know his songs on Fugazi Records can seem kind of dirgy at times, or or uh, uh, I mean Bayou or or Recap Mandati or those type of things. Mm-hmm. But he is, I think, he has such a really sweetness to to the way he approaches playing bass and to his songs. I mean, his songs are very sweet sounding to me too. So so that would make sense if it just started but as a bass jam and then they added some on top of it. So speaking of how fun it is, uh, I thought this was interesting. I have a list of the most like i went to the discord live series website um i was able to sort of get the the raw data and analyze it so i have this list of the most frequently played live songs mm-hmm. and this is way down the list like with only 21 outings in my uh, on, in the data that i have so and that always surprised me like it's such a great groove it seems like it would be a lot of fun to play but for some reason they mm-hmm. almost never played it like i wonder if was, there's just something about it that doesn't come off live very well it's it's interesting that could be or maybe yeah maybe they have to kind of make sure the energy of the room is right for something like that you know yeah but you know the fugazi live tape thing i'm so stoked that that got that that, that became a thing right you know like all these we can now listen to like any any concert. It's you know it's really not unlike you know the the culture around the Grateful Dead, right? You know, obviously totally different trips on every level, mm-hmm. right? You know, all sorts of things that are completely different. I'm not going to stand here and make a comparison between Fugazi and the Grateful Dead, other than I believe the Grateful Dead played a lot of shows without set lists too. So there's there's that. Um, but that whole idea that, you know, we're going to document this or you're going to document this and then this is going to be an artifact that you can listen to after the fact. Um, another band that does that is Pearl Jam, too. Right. They, uh, again, totally separate from both the Grateful Dead and Fugazi. They're doing them whatever it is they're doing. But they did the same thing. They have this massive CD release thing in the 90s where they release, what, hundreds of live shows, you know, oh, really? like. Yeah, it was just this, ma- this massive amount. And I remember thinking, I was working at a record store at that time, and I just remember thinking, like, A, this is a pain in the ass to find room for all in the P section for all these Pearl Jam CDs. But but B, this is kind of awesome that fans of that band, if you're a fan of that band, you can go and listen to 
like, oh, I wonder how much, you know, how many times did they play State of Love and Trust or whatever, you know, whatever the Pearl Jam song you went to hear was, you know, so. I was never hugely into them, but I do understand that Eddie Vedder is a huge Fugazi fan. Oh, huge fan. He used, that was, I mean, back when like uh, that type of rock music was breaking, you know, 91, 92, he would, I think he dropped their name in every interview possible, you know. Um, I don't know if that was the first time I ever heard it, you know, reading about that in a Rolling Stone magazine or something. To heard the name Fugazi. It might have actually been in a skateboarding magazine that a, a friend of mine had. But yeah, he would talk about them constantly. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers too. They would they would bring Fugazi up a lot too. So Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I was never a huge Pearl Jam fan, I just I recently obtained my first Stratocaster and I've been playing uh, oh. Yellow Lead Better a lot, which is like one of the oh, one yeah. of the great strat riffs. So I appreciate the hell <laughs> yeah, out of that totally. song. Oh, that's great. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um let's see. Uh I think one of the only other uh, parts I wanted to bring up of this song is um, the little I don't I don't know how to describe it, the little dancey part where they're playing these little funky chords. That's maybe Fugazi at their funkiest points in their catalog. It's it's so funky. It's so yeah. It's I don't know so idiosyncratic, different from the rest of the stuff they did. That might be the apex of their funkiness right there. Totally agree. Totally agree. And you know they 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 worshipped James Brown. I mean, every, I mean they have all been on that they've they've all been on record talking about how much they like James Brown. And they were, you know, and they they also I think it has to be said they they come up in this they come up in this scene. You know, obviously hardcore and punk, and then whatever the Revolution Summer and all that stuff. But they they also really loved go go music, right? You know, or you know that was something that was a part of them as well. And go go music, I wouldn't necessarily call that funky music, but there is an ass shaking quality to it, a dancing quality to it. It was it's you move it, it's everything is propelled forward at it's all forward, right? It's a forward thinking thing. And I don't think combination like is a take on go go. I'm not saying that, but I think that there that some of those elements are in their blood. You know, like you can't you can't avoid that, right? Some of those those things that come around that are in you, uh, you know, speaking of combination, like, you know, like when Brendan goes to the ride symbol on that one part where he starts hitting the bell on the ride symbol, uh-huh. um, it just it hits something in me. Uh, uh, again, I raised out in the middle of nowhere, but it was it was classic rock records. My dad had classic rock records and the radio and all that. And that bell on the ride thing, I guess it's maybe listening to Van Halen records or or whatever, that is just like, it stokes me out so much. And that's the part where I go off on that song is that when he goes to the bell, cause he's so, he's such a, I mean, he's such a technically perfect drummer in many ways, but he has that little, he has that little, uh, I'll use your word funky. He's got that little hitch in the step there. It's, yeah. it's really, it's beautiful. So. Although speaking of him being perfect, which he is in so many ways, I, uh, but I, I was just wondering as I was listening to it today, the, the way the song starts with that, like one drum hit, um, is that a mistake? Yeah. Uh, recording or did he have to like you know uh did he do something he didn't mean to and he had to get ready and jump into it again or was that is that something stylistic that they meant to do oh i bet i bet it was just a like uh, a thing that you know you do the four clicks tech click 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 you know like when you record yeah i bet it was a thing where he like hit it and then it's like oh okay now i'm gonna start i bet it was yeah yeah right. um it's now it's part of the song, but yeah, I, I think it would be, I think I bet it was like a little bit of a, a hitch right off the bat. And then he goes into the song, you know? Yeah. But that's yeah. an example of, you know, what you were saying before, that's the kind of thing that other albums might just sort of cut out 
and uh, you know start at the you know the beginning of the song proper um but i I really appreciate how they leave that in there if it if it was just a little warm-up sort of a thing about bob uh i I love how they do that yeah they're getting loose at at that point with that band right they were really pushing a few things right and that that drum beat you know there's if you go play shows and see a bunch of shows you know there's that sort of stock um sort of drum beats that drummers do when they sit down to test their kit you know like they'll do whatever a shellac song or nirvana song or whatever i have a friend named vish from uh, canada and he does that he does combination lock as his kind of you know uh uh, testing my drum kit thing and i i I love that so much this isn't vish kana (laughs) is it it is yeah yeah absolutely yeah i'm I'm just talking with him about doing the podcast too he's going to be on uh on soon i'm going to record with him Oh, you got it. You, you have to have him on. He is so <laughs> he is so charming and brilliant and and would uh, and, and yeah, you, you will love talking with him. So I'm sure. Yeah, his, his podcast is, is really a great one. Yeah, uh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it seems like we're pretty big fans of uh, Combination Lock, but how big exactly? <laughs> Let's talk about that in ratings. Which is a segment where I ask my guests out of one to five stars, but only within the context of Fugazi songs, what rating does this song get for you? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, I'm going to give it four solid stars. This is a, this is a four star uh, thing. I, there's no, almost no reservations about it. I love it. It's, a, it's an amazing song. It has a function within the context of the record. It moves things forward. Um, I it, it's I, I would say the only little like lack of an of a star. They can't all be five stars, right? Is that you know you have two or three people in that band who wrote, you know, really some of the best lyrics, right? <laughs> they wrote some of the best lyrics in punk rock, and yeah. then you have this little ditty that doesn't have any lyrics on it, you know, like and. And I know bands take forever to to, to do songs. Like I I I, I guess uh, Epic Problem, um, had, that took them a long, 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 long time to actually finish that song. Like the the bones of that song was started many years ago, and then it was finished for the argument, right? And so maybe this was one that they were you know chipping away at. Maybe it had some lyrics or something, and it just didn't land. So that's my only reservation is that you know maybe they could you know I, I like hearing what they have to say so that's my that's it but i i think it's a four star song uh you know what isaac i am in total agreement four stars for me also uh you pretty much said it all oh <laughs> i feel <laughs> yeah uh, as you said they can't all be five stars so it's this doesn't reach the upper echelon but man i i do really appreciate it it, it is so fun uh i love yeah. listening to it as i said before i love to play it whenever i have a bass in my hands um, you know, if, if you ever throw me into a situation where it's like, Hey, here's a drummer to play with, here's a bass guitar. Uh, you guys just do something. Uh, I would, I would play combination lock every time. It's great fun. Oh, fantastic. That's yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk plugs. Where can listeners reach you? Do you have anything coming up? You want to plug anything at oh. all you want to promote? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. So I played a bunch of bands, you know, like, like everybody does, I guess. <laughs> uh, I'll, you know what? I have two bands that I play in uh, real regularly, I guess you could say. You know, everybody's feeling it now with, with COVID-19 uh, and all that. Um, I'm in a band called Out. Uh, we're on Comedy Minus One Records. 
I think you could find us at comedy-one.com. That's probably the best. But we're on Bandcamp and Facebook and Instagram. And then I play in a band called Wowza in Kalamazoo. And that's the name of the band is Wowza in Kalamazoo. And if you just Google that, you'd find us. We're, on, we're also on Bandcamp and uh, Facebook. And both of those bands make records and, and uh, play shows and, and all that stuff. So, yeah. Thank you for asking. It's very sweet of you. Yeah. yeah well, uh, listeners, um, have a look at the show notes in your podcast app, and I will go ahead and put links to those in the show notes so you can go oh, ahead right there that, without even uh, having the, uh, the the great burden of Googling it. Um, so <laughs> just trying to make it easier for you. Um, very sweet of you. And as usual, for me, the only plugs I have, you can reach me at fugaziA to Z at gmail.com. If you would like to be on the show at some point, hey, get in touch. Maybe we can make it happen. And you can join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi, and say what you will there about today's song, Combination Lock. I'll post a thread. Uh, you can leave your comments. Do you like it as much as Isaac and I do? And other than that, I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing Dear Justice Letter. And until then, keep your eyes open. This is